Now you gotta understand that this this word jasper. I love this word jasper, not because I knew what it meant before I ever studied this. I was like, what's a jasper stone? Well, come to find out, jasper is like a diamond. Jasper is like a multifaceted stone. Now John probably might have saw Jasper in his life, but he probably never owned any because he wasn't that rich. So whenever he saw Jesus, he was like, I don't really have Jasper, but he was like Jasper. Like he's trying to create language for this man sitting on the throne, Jesus. So if you study what Jasper is, Jasper is a multifaceted stone, like a diamond. You know, whenever you look at it from different angles, it looks a little bit different. I remember when I was when I first started going to church, I was about 16 years old. And I remember being just totally bored in church and uh, sitting there. And it's not because the ministry wasn't good. It's because I didn't have a heart that wanted to respond to the ministry that was happening. And I remember step, uh, sitting by my stepmom and she was sitting there and she had this big old, I don't know, like maybe a carrot stone or something on her ring finger. And I remember just sitting there looking at that ring. I was so bored with the message and everything that was going on. So I'm just fascinated by this stone that's on her hand. And as I began to gaze at this stone, I would watch as even the blood began to pulse through her finger. And just the, the, the little bitty twitch that would happen in her finger would cause light to hit this diamond. It would reflect the light just a little bit different. And I remember on Sundays, I would just sit there and, you know, like kind of like, disengaged, kind of looking at this stone, and as the blood pulsed through her finger, light would begin to hit this diamond at different angles. So John is having this revelation of Jesus. Now it says this in, a, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says that, that, he, that he dwells in unapproachable light. Now when it says that, it's not saying that it's forbidden light, it's saying that it's unapproachable because it's so bright. Okay, so what's happening is he's seeing a man that's like Jasper, multifaceted, yet he's full of light. Are you with me? So can you imagine he's seeing this angle and he's getting hammered, right? He's just like, whoa, oh, he's beautiful. He's like, he's like, I don't know, Jasper, because he's multifaceted. It's whenever every second it seems like he looks totally different. It's the same man, but I'm getting blown away by the beauty of who he is. And then we see as we read down in the passage, it says there's all these creatures, and they're all surrounded around this throne, and they're going, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, and unto the Lamb, right? And so they're singing this song. I believe it's because there is this man, this beautiful man that is fascinating with beauty, and they're looking at him, and every time they're saying holy, it's because they're getting hammered by another revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. It's crazy. You're blowing me away. Holy. Whoa. Holy. They're getting slammed this whole time in heaven. And this goes on for like a thousand years. This is how fascinating and how deep this love is that Jesus has for us. It's totally unending. And he wants you, listen, to get it. He is mysterious, but he's not caught up in that. He's not a mystery to be hidden. He's a mystery to be found. We, there's a story nestled in the Old Testament 
called Song of Solomons. It's a poetic book written from Solomon to, or written from about Solomon and this uh, Shulamite woman, and they're having this love conversation. It's a it's a romantic book, and many people have just uh, accredited as simply a romantic book. But I believe, which with many other philosophers, that this is actually a prophetic picture of who of Jesus and his bride, the Book of Song of Solomon. I don't think that you know. I think it's great. It's great if we just want to read the narrative and think, oh, here we go. You know, it's a great love story between Solomon and these women, this woman, but. It's really a picture of Jesus and a conversation between Jesus and his bride. How many know that we are the bride of Christ? Corporately, we are the bride of Christ. So it says in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Now, this is, there's a conversation between the beloved, which is the woman, and then there's the, there's, there's the lover, which is Jesus or Solomon in this time. So again, this is, he's a shadow of, of what is to come. He's a picture. He's what we call... Um, is a, uh, a typology. And so a typology is basically, this is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Old Testament, it was, it was showing us what Jesus was going to be like. And so here's the story. This is the woman talking about her lover. And I believe that this is so much how we are. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your love is like perfume poured out. I love this statement. No wonder the maidens love you. I mean, isn't it like when we think about Jesus, it's not really surprising that people all over the, the world for thousands of years have loved him. I mean, no wonder. I mean, he really is that good. So no wonder people love Jesus. I mean, Everybody wants a king like Jesus. Doesn't everybody want to love Jesus? Everybody that has the revelation of Jesus wants to love him. The only people that don't, we talked about this last week, are those that just don't have the revelation. They don't get him. They don't understand him. And I love that statement right here. No wonder. And so whenever I see the goodness of God, whenever I see Jesus reveal himself in my life, I just say, man, no wonder. No wonder people all over the earth love you. No wonder that people are willing to die, give up their lives for Jesus. He's that good. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now, the chambers is like the bedroom. It's the place of intimacy. It's the place where lovers gather together to experience one another's affections at the highest level. The chamber. I have a chamber at my house. Husbands and wives, I hope you have a chamber at your house. I hope that that door gets locked sometimes. Come on, are you with me? Especially if you have your little kids there. Or big kids, you need to lock that door. Come on, that'll preach right there. Lock that door. So it's this. this. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now Solomon was king, Jesus is king. And so this is our cry, Lord, bring us to the place of intimacy. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise you for your love. We will praise you, your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Listen, Jesus is a lover. And he's looking for lovers. You know that he's not looking for workers? Lovers always work. 
He's not working, looking for workers. If he wanted workers, he would have left the old covenant in place because people were working it. But he wanted lovers. He wanted romance. He wanted intimacy. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about intimacy. Are you guys with me? And some people think that's weird because when we think of intimacy, we think automatically sex, but it means so much more than that. The first thing is Jesus intends intimacy. He intends it. Did you know that it was God's plan from the very beginning that he would have an intimate relationship with his creation? In fact, did you know that in the garden, if you look back in Genesis, you will see in the garden when Adam was there that God would meet with him in the cool of the day. Right? And God still showed up, and we've talked about this before, that God still showed up even when Adam sinned to meet with him. Why? Because God is a lover looking for lovers. And this was their place of intimacy. And so, listen, we were created for God's delight. We were created for his pleasure, for his enjoyment. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things are created by him and for him. See, you weren't just created by God. You were created for God. You weren't just created by Jesus. You were created for Jesus. Do you know that you were created for him? You weren't just created to go and do all the things that you, you believe that God has destined you to do. All those things are great. You weren't just called to do all those things. You were created for God's enjoyment. He wants to enjoy you. It says in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 that it says that we were created for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. You're created to, you were created so he could love on you. Yes. We're going to talk about affection in a couple of weeks. But you were created so he could love on you. Isn't that good news? Not so he could hate on you. Some people think that that, that people that they're that we're just objects of God's wrath. And God's just kind of ticked off and he's decides to take it out on people. No, no, no. We are created for pleasure. That was the case God would have never sent Jesus. So we were created for his delight. Number And second part of that is we were chosen for his delight. I love his scripture in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. This is when, this is when Jesus picks, up, picks out his disciples and he names them. He's like, these are all the guys that are going to be with me. These are the 12 disciples. We're going to hang out together. And this is what he says in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says, he appointed 12 designating them apostles, that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. Notice that it says that he picked them so that they might be with him. Did you know that your primary purpose is not that he could send you out to preach? Or that he could send you out to clothe the naked or feed the hungry? He wants you to do those things, but he didn't call you for those things. He called you to be with you. This is your purpose. We serve a man, this beautiful man, this fascinating man who wants to be with us. He created us for pleasure, so he wants to be 
with us. He didn't pick you for what you could do for him. So what we do is we beat ourselves up all the time when we don't feel like we're doing enough for God. Listen, he knew what he was getting into. He wasn't like, hey, I'll pick you. Come on, come be with me. Oh, man. I wish I would have picked somebody else. Right? No, 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 no. You're the one. You're the one he picked. And he picked you for pleasure. You were chosen for his delight. Jesus, and this is another misconception, is we think, that, you know, why did Jesus come? Oh, so people wouldn't have to go to hell. Listen, heaven is a byproduct. Heaven is a byproduct. When we die, we get to go to heaven. Byproduct. Tinted windows. But the machine is Jesus. The machine is intimacy. We get to go to heaven. It's a byproduct of intimacy. It's a byproduct of, of being right with God. We focus so much on this eternal perspective, and we forget that God just wants to be with me now. Heaven on earth. How do we have heaven on earth? By having him. By having him. It sounds just like that. Did you know he didn't just save you from something? He didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. He saved you for something. Man, I love coffee. I'm kind of like, my name's Josh Brown, and I'm addicted to coffee. I'm a coffee addict, okay? However you say it. I am addicted to coffee. Uh, No shame in this game. I'm really addicted to coffee. So I love coffee. So every once in a while, I'll get like some specialty coffee. I have this friend and... uh, that has his own, he does his own roasting, and every once in a while I'll get some coffee from him, and it's phenomenal coffee. And so sometimes he'll be, I'll be, he'll be like, post on Facebook, hey, I got some coffee if anybody wants some. And I'm like, oh yeah, hook it up. And so I'll go and I'll pick up some coffee and I'll take it home. And guess what I don't do? I don't tear it open and drink it right then. I save it. I save it. I hold it back. I'm like, well, I'm going to. I might drink a little bit now, but I don't want to drink it all in one setting. I, I want to save it for later. I want to, I, want, I, want to, I want to save it so when somebody else that enjoys coffee wants to come over to my house and we can press it out. Come on. We can have a good old French press of coffee, and we can, we can sit back and we can talk about how good the coffee is. You know what I'm Some of you are like, you're totally off. Like, I don't, totally don't get that coffee thing. And listen, I drink coffee. I don't, I, don't add, I don't add creamer and sugar and all this other girly stuff, you know, because if I wanted a soda, I can go buy me a soda, but I want coffee, so. I drink coffee. I don't need to put none of that other crud in there and pollute it. I just want it just like it is. And so, because that's the way God intended it to be drank. And so, anyway, so I just enjoy it like that. So, but when I get some of this coffee, I save some of it. I'm not saving it so you don't come and get it. Right? I'm saving it for a special time. I'm saving it for something. And that's the way it is. When, when God saved you, he didn't just save you from something, right? I'm not hiding it because I'm worried, dude, I'm breaking into my house and steal my coffee. Although I probably should. I'm hiding it for something. I'm putting it away so I can enjoy it. And this is the way it is with Jesus. He saved you because he enjoys you. And some of you need to recognize that. Some of the, the reasons why you don't ever spend time with Jesus is because you think that he doesn't enjoy you. 
and you feel like that every time you get in his presence, he's beating you up or convicting you about something you did. Listen, a lot of that might be the Holy Spirit convicting you, but some of it might be your perception of Jesus. If most of your time with the presence of Jesus is apologizing, you need to recognize that you're already right because of the blood of Jesus. And he just wants you to come just like you are. If there's some things you need to repent of, you need to repent of that. You need to get it right. Come on, I believe in conviction. When we screw up, we blow it. We need to, you know, do what Scripture says. We need to, we need to have wholehearted repentance. Absolutely. But listen, you, that can be done in like a second. You don't need to be, oh, God, I'm just so sorry. And he says, like, would you just love on me? You know, Leslie and I are uh, jumping on a cruise boat tomorrow. I'm going to be gone for six days. We're going to think about you guys the whole time. And, uh, you know, I've done some stupid things over the past 10 years. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we've lived together. I'm Josh Brown. I've done some stupid things over 10 years. But if I spent that whole time, I'm like, oh, baby, I'm just so sorry for that one time whenever we got in a fight and I said something bad about you. If, I, if all I was thinking about that whole time, there would be no pleasure. But I'm confident in my love with her. I'm able to go before her because she loves me and I'm hers. Right? So don't get caught up, man, in your intimacy and your mistakes. God chose you for pleasure. He picked you. He's drawing you in. Yeah, there's some stuff you need to get right. Then get it right. And then just love on him. Just let him love on you. Don't be, God, I'm so unworthy. Get over that. That's old school. That's like that's like Old Testament. You get before the Lord if there's something you need to repent of. You get it saying, God, God, I'm so stupid that I did that. Forgive me, Lord. All right, let's just love on one another. Get over it. Get over your shame. You were intended. You were chosen and created for his delight. Number two, Jesus instigates intimacy. You know when you had that idea that day, hey, I think I'm going to pray for a minute. That wasn't your idea. I mean, you thought it was your idea, but it was really God's idea. I love this, First John 4, 9. We love because he first loved us. It takes God to love God. You love God because he loves you. It's, it's just a response, right? And so we've got to get to this place where, where we realize that, that God is initiating. He's not like, he's not avoiding us. He's not avoiding you because you blew it this week. He's not avoiding you. You might be avoiding him because you have a misconception that he's not good enough to forgive you or that he likes to hold things over your head. I don't serve a God like that. And again, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the, the value of repentance. The Bible actually says that we are to repent, that we are to confess our sin. But we cannot allow it to continually control our lives to keep us from intimacy with Jesus. That's why he died. He instigated it. You know, when Leslie and I got married, um, you know, first of all, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to her. <laughs> I mean, me, me. <laughs> oh, baby. It's all good. And so we, uh, you know, here I was, you know, young man. 
I was so young. And I was there, less of a young woman. And I was standing up here at this altar. There were all these people. And I'm just thinking about one thing. Not that thing, but something else. Uh, and here comes Leslie down the aisle. She's got a veil on. Right? Right? How many of you know that that veil is there for a reason? And then her daddy lifts that veil. And then we can proceed with the ceremony. A veil is a representation of saying, hey, listen. You can only come this far. But once that veil is removed, you can come closer. But the veil must be removed. It must be lifted. Intimacy happens behind the veil. And it must be received by the bride. The bride must receive the lifting of the veil. Intimacy happens behind the veil. Listen, let me just say this about Jesus his constant mode, constant mode is intimacy. It's his constant mode. He's always thinking about, can I be with them? Can I love on them? Constantly. Constantly. I'm not saying that there's another, not other emotions added on to that, because there are. I believe that Jesus gets angry. I believe that. We see this in the book of Revelation. But his constant mode is Intimacy. If there's anger added on top of that, then yes, it can be there. We get this picture of a veil from the temple in the Old Testament. We got that diagram up, Josh. This is a, a kind of a, a picture of the, the temple in Old Testament. This is Solomon's temple here. And so what you have is you have like the outer court, which is the outside out here. And this is kind of where the people go and they kind of gather. And then you have this next little section right up in here where the priest is in there, the first little gold area. If you go through the doors there on the right. And this is called like the holy place or also referred to as like the inner court. And so this is where the priest can go in and he can make sacrifices and he does all this stuff. Well, at the very back, you guys can see where those, those statues are. And that thing back there that's in between those statues is called the Ark of the Covenant. Now that represents the presence of God. All right, are you with me? And so what would happen is the only person that could go in that back room, the Holy of Holies, is the high priest. He's the only God that can go and he can only go once a year. You can read about this in Hebrews. So what would happen is, is in the Old Testament is people would come out here and they'd be like, oh, we need to repent of our sins. And so they would go back here and they'd, they'd make all their sacrifices and all this kind of stuff. And then the high priest <coughs> would go inside and he would, on the Day of Atonement, he would go into the Holy of Holies. He's the only one that could go. Nobody else could go. He would go behind this curtain, this huge curtain that was, uh, it was like 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and four inches thick. I mean, that's a thick curtain. That took a little while to build. 60 feet, I mean, especially when you have sewing machines, right? Electricity. 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and like up to four inches thick. And so he's the only guy, the high priest, could go behind this curtain, and in there he would commune with God on the Day of Atonement and make atonement for the sins of God's people. So what happens is when Jesus, the Bible says, who is our high priest, does this in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus is on the cross it says that then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit when Jesus dies he releases his spirit and at that moment the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two 
So we have this picture of Jesus dying, and there was this earthquake happening, and all of a sudden, this curtain, this 60 foot by 30 foot by 4 inch thick curtain was ripped in two down the middle from the top to the bottom. Ripped in two. And it was Jesus saying, listen, we're getting rid of this system. We're removing the veil. Listen, Jesus didn't just remove the veil. He ripped it. And he ripped it from the top to bottom. Why? Because he's the initiator. He didn't rip it from the bottom to the top. That's not the way it works. He's the one that initiates. And he tore the veil and he said, I want you to come in. We're getting rid of this system. There's a new system. I want everybody to come into the Holy of Holies. We used to sing this song in church. It said, take me past the outer courts into the holy place. Past the brazen altar, Lord, I want to see your face. You guys remember this song? It's an old song. It's not like the Cutlass version. I'm talking about for real, like Petra Praise version. And, it's like, and it says, take me in to the Holy of Holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. I love that song so much because this is what God did because he wanted us. He said, I will get rid of everything that hinders love. I want to get rid of all the obstacles. I want to get rid of all the system. And I want it to be you and me. He intends intimacy. Listen, this whole picture of of the temple is just saying we can be as close as we want to be. There's no more restrictions. Some of us during worship will come in. During our prayer times, whatever, we'll stay in the outer court. Yeah, God, I love you, Lord. It's a good song, I like the song. Some of us will move in a little closer. We'll get in to the holy place. We'll get in there and we'll be like, oh, yes, it's good. But some of us will actually enter into intimacy during corporate or private times of worship or prayer. And we will get there before the Lord. But it's really up to us. It's not up to God because he's already initiated the intimacy and said, come on in. I've ripped the veil from top to bottom. I got rid of it for you. I believe he's an aggressive lover. It would have been like that day. Leslie comes showing up, and I'm like, let me get that veil. Right? (laughs) Can you hurry? (laughs) Can we get to these vows real quick? Come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, we are as close to God as we want to be. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says, we can enter boldly, boldly, with confidence in her heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So let us go right in to the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with the blood, with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Intimacy is life behind the veil. We get this word intimacy from a picture. Intimacy actually means to come and see the interior, into me see. And so I I heard it preached one time like this, and I'll never forget it. Intimacy is like this. Into me see. Into me see. See inside of me. Can you see? There was something here, and it's no longer there. Come in into me and see. And I believe that this is what the Father was doing. He's saying, come on in. 
into me. See, see inside of me. See my heart. See my affections. See my desire. See my love for you. See how good I am. Experience my pleasure. Intimacy. See who I really am because people before Jesus ever came had a bad misconception. Why? Because they couldn't go in. So Jesus got rid of it and he said, you can know my thoughts. You can know my desires. doesn't mean we know the full gamut of God. He's so deep. But we're learning. We're growing. Because that's what intimate lovers do. Leslie and I know one another way better than we did 10 years ago. Poor Leslie. <laughs> Just kidding. It's all good. That was funny, though. That was funny. <laughs> it was funny. So I'm laughing. All right. So, intimacy. Jesus intends intimacy. Jesus instigates intimacy. And number three, Jesus invites us to intimacy. Several years ago, we were, we were youth pastor in El Paso, and we had this amazing conference we were doing. I don't even remember what it was called. We did so many. And, and man, God just moved, and kids were just really touched that night. And, and I was in bed, like, at, like, one o'clock or something and I was you know after we got through going and eating and all that stuff and I was this was before Leslie and I were married and I was laying in bed and I was so exhausted you know we worshiped for probably like three hours prayed for people I probably preached that night I don't remember and I just remember just thinking about how good the night was so I went home and I laid down in bed and I reached over to turn off my my lamp so I could go to sleep and I put my work in, you know what I'm saying? It's like, boom. And so when I reach over to the church of the lamp and I turn off the light, the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, what about me? And I was like, oh. I was like, Jesus, I was like, I've been with you all day. We've been doing all this stuff. He's like, yeah, but now it's just you and I. Now it's just you and I. There's nobody else around. It's just you and I, and I'll never forget that moment. He was, and it wasn't a conviction like, oh, you're going to go to hell if you don't spend some time with me today. It was more like, I was like, hey, let's talk. Wasn't that good tonight? Oh, yeah. It's so good, Jesus. Remember when you did that? Oh, you know, I can't remember. <laughs> hey, Lord, remember when you did that? Yeah. It's good, huh? Yeah. As lovers do, they reminisce, huh? Remember that one time, Lord? What's funny about me, Josh, is I remember what's going to happen. Whoa! <laughs> right? That's what lovers do. It's pillow talk. Y'all ever have, you lovers, you marry people, you ever have pillow talk? You just get in bed and you're just like, hey. And the other one's like, uh, I'm tired. I put my work in. Oh, remember when we were, la, 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 la. <laughs> right. Hey, wait, well, yeah, I'm talking to you. You guys know what I'm saying, right? Pillow talk. It's intimacy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it says that he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees, love that, the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. There's many installments, but this is the first installment. You know, we do wedding rings 
in America, right? For weddings, we get married, so we do rings. And I guess the trend now is get like tattoo rings, you know, because they're more permanent. And so hopefully that'll help our issues in America. But we have <laughs> we have rings as a symbol. But whenever we came into this love relationship with Jesus, he gave us the Holy Spirit as a seal of our covenant. And so rather than having a ring to look down and remind us, the Holy Spirit is in there inside of us to remind us of the love of Jesus for us and our love for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a constant reminder to us about that. And so he puts that spirit in us, that spirit of truth that bears witness with us. That word bear witness, we did a study on this uh, last spring sometime and talked about bear witness actually means like a residue. It's like I drank a cup of coffee and I left the cup there and there was a ring at the bottom of that cup. It's the residue of that coffee. So what happens when the Holy Spirit was put inside of us as a seal, as the covenant, as the symbol of our covenant with Jesus, it's a residue. It's something that's there. It's a permanent residue. Come on, are you with me? So he put the Holy Spirit in us to remind us of this covenant, this, this love relationship, the spirit of truth. So it's says this in Revelation, because it's not just a, a thing that just says, hey, I'm just good, good with whatever happens. No, 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 no. It's actually a beckoning call that says, I love you. I want you, but I want more of you. I want more intimacy. I want more relationships. So it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the residue, that which is inside of us, the spirit of truth, the confirming symbol of our covenant, and the bride, us, say, come. Come. And this is what it says. Come, let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty say, come. Let anyone who desires drink, freely drink from the water of life. So listen, when we have the Holy Spirit, when he comes to you, whether it's conviction or whether it's, whether it's a comfort, whatever it is, it is always to, for us to resound the symbol of my covenant saying, come. And it is talking about the end time, but it is also talking about right now that the Spirit and the bride were saying, come Jesus. Reveal yourself. Reveal yourself in my life. Come. Come away with me. Let us hurry. Let us go into the chambers. The Holy Spirit is there to remind you of intimacy. Are you guys okay today? Psalm chapter 27. You know, David, we know, is a man after God's own heart. He got this intimacy thing. One of my favorite passages, Psalms 24, says one thing that I have asked. Just one thing. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the presence under new covenant of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This thing of glimpsing and gazing. Many of us have had a glimpse of Jesus, but we don't spend much time gazing. But I'm convinced that if we just spend a little bit more time glimpsing, we'll spend a little bit more time gazing because we'll get locked into this fascinating man because looking produces longing. And I'm finishing with this, but devotion and intimacy, for me, I used to think that that was the same thing. Like, because I had a quiet time, I was intimate with Jesus. Because I had a, you know, a five-minute devotional that I read every day, I was intimate with Jesus. And however, that might be intimacy, but it's not always intimacy just because you have a routine that you go through. 
And uh, devotion and intimacy are two different things because devotion with intimacy equals a moving and motivating relationship. But devotion without intimacy just produces a religiously devoted heart. And so what God wants to do through his Holy Spirit is he wants to put that beckoning in us that we would be a people that are devoted and motivated properly with pleasure. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if I said, babe, I love you so much. I was telling us this. I love you so much. Okay, hold on just a second. What are you doing? I'm finishing my list. Right? Here, hold on. Hey, babe, I love you. Let's, let's go be together. Hold on. Still working on my list. She gives me this list. I love you too. Here you go. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Do this. Bring me roses every Friday, third Friday of the month. That's what I want. As a good husband, I would be devoted to that. And I commit those things. But just because I would do the things on the list doesn't make me a lover. And it's not a very good lover of her to just give me a list and tell me to hold on and say, hey, if you do all this, we can be together. Rather, she would just say, here I am. Here I am. And listen, there, there, there is a list. There is a standard to serving God. But don't confuse keeping the list with being intimate with Jesus. Because if you're just keeping a list, all you are is religious. But God doesn't want you just keeping a list of do's and don'ts. He wants your heart. If the heart's there, the list naturally. Leslie doesn't have to tell me, don't go sleeping around on me all the time. Right? She doesn't have to tell me that. It's not written down in our house anywhere. Thou shalt not sleep around. Thou shalt call me when you're going to be late. Thou shalt... Be romantic, right? There's no list. There's standards. There's no list that I have to do to prove my love. Are you with me? God has standards. But he's not interested in just having a heartless, devoted follower. No, but heartfelt lovers. Lovers always do. They just do. Psalm one, uh, Psalm sixteen, verse eight. I have set the Lord always before me, and because He is at my right hand, because He's right there, I will not be shaken. Because we have set the Lord before us, we will not be shaken. Because I am in intimacy with Him, because we are together on this thing, I will not be shaken. Because we are in this thing, I will be devoted. Standing.